Are you a history buff? Do you like tales about World War II? Do you like to read historical fiction? What about a tale about two brothers and a doomed relationship that has universal appeal for anyone who appreciates a heart-filled story about humanity itself? Lauren Robinson has a novel for you. Join us as Lauren Robinson discusses The Boy Who Saw in Colors. Hello, my name is Kelly Winkler, and welcome to Episode 6 of Spotlighting the Indie Author. We are excited to have Lauren Robinson as our guest author on today's show. Lauren is the author of the just-released novel, The Boy Who Saw in Colors. The Boy Who Saw in Colors is a tale like no other about the life in Germany during World War II. The Boy Who Saw in Colors is a raw novel set amid Nazi uprising and chronicles the life of a boy who dared to dream. The tale is about two brothers and a doomed friendship. The Boy Who Saw in Colors was released on June 6, 2020. The tales fall in the genre of historical fiction, with a word count of 90,000 plus. Curious and want to know more about this fascinating tale and its author? I know I am. Before I turn it over to Joseph and his guest, Nina will tell us a little about this young and talented author, Lauren Robinson. Lauren Robinson is the historical fiction author of The Boy Who Saw in Colors. She is from the small town of Derry in picturesque Northern Ireland. While pursuing a career in journalism, where facts are pivotal, Lauren spent years researching and writing her debut novel, along with learning German. Lauren Robinson draws inspiration from everyday people and events in her life, saying, The story was always there in my head, and I built upon it year after year until I had no choice but to write. When Lauren's head is not buried in her book, she can be found at her local gym or creating art. Now to Joseph and Lauren to learn more about her and her debut novel, The Boy Who Saw in Colors. Thank you, Kelly and Nina. Hello, listeners. My name is Joseph Clay, founder and CEO of josephyclay.com and co-host of Spotlighting the Author. On today's show, our guest is Lauren Robinson, the author of The Boy Who Saw in Colors. Lauren, I'm so stoked to have you on the show today. To me, there is nothing more exciting than talking to an author whose first book has been published. How are you feeling now that The Boy Who Saw in Colors has moved from pre-order status to being a published novel? Um, hi, Joseph. Uh, Joseph. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's really wonderful to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, to see The Boy Who Saw in Colors being out there in the world is, is a really surreal feeling, isn't it? To know that something you worked so hard on for for years is like is like in the in the world now people can buy it yeah it is a high it is a feeling of of like walking on a cloud i can remember way back when yeah. when i released my first book i, I had jitters i mean i think i had an upset stone <laughs> for like a week i know that's it, it, it it is a bit like that isn't it where you kind of feel like you're walking you, you're walking on a cloud yeah yeah <laughs> for, for about a week i don't th- i actually don't think it'll ever go away 
Yeah. To be honest. Yeah, it really does it. You you can remember, always remember it. It's like one of those things yeah. in lives that hey, this is a life moment right here. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed you released the the book, which was set in Germany during World War II, on D Day. Was that by design? Yes, it was. That was actually something that me and my editor dreamed up together. Um, initially, it was um, supposed to come out. Well, it did come out for pre-order um, on the eighth, which is also the day. So we kind of just went with all the, the the historical dates. We thought it'd be a really cool Easter egg for history fans. Excellent, excellent. And may I add a great marketing move? Before yeah. you and I, yeah, before you and I talk about the <laughs> boy who saw in colors. Let's find out a little about you, Lauren Robinson, the person. Your bio stated that when your head is not buried in a book, you can be found at your local gym or creating art. Tell me, what type of book were you referring to? Are they school books, research, or books you're reading for personal enjoyment? Oh, well, mostly for personal enjoyment. I mean, I, I, I do study as well, so sometimes it is, you know, journalism books and such like that, but... Mostly, I prefer reading fiction. Um, I'm a historical fiction writer, so I, I really enjoy historical fiction. Um, but also classics, you know, Little Women, um, 1984, the classics, To Kill a Mockingbird, things like that. I really enjoy them. Okay. To Kill a Mockingbird, I actually have on my shelf. That's a real good book. It is. Yeah, wonderful. The second part of the statement mentions you can be found at your local gym. What type of training do you do and what other sport activities do you participate in? Um, mostly I, I go to the gym for fun, to be honest, but I do, um, like, like weight training, but it's, it's very, um, like I'm only a beginner at the moment, so I don't lift very, very heavy weights or anything like that, but it's, it's really fun and it's like interesting me to keep fit, you know, make friends at the gym too. And yeah, with, you know, with quarantine, it's, it's very difficult not being there. Yeah, I can imagine. We're having the same, yeah. issue. we're having the same issue over here and Hey, everybody's got to start somewhere in the gym. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, you can just pick up a hundred pound weight and go for it. You exactly. Like yourself. exactly. I think I only curl like fifteen pounds. So. Yeah, well, it's yeah. <laughs> you end that sentence with you that you create art. Tell me about your artistic talent. Well, again, it's it's mostly hobby. I I really like using watercolor pencils. So I sketch usually on paper, and then I I use the watercolors to add detail and shading and such but recently i have moved on to digital art and i've just started with that so it's i have a lot to improve on but that's really interesting digital digital art because it makes the the image look more real i suppose so it's interesting yeah did you happen to since you draw and stuff did you happen to do any sketches on the characters in the boy who saw colors yeah yeah i did i i sketched joseph quite a bit um, also various other characters as well in the novel, just because I, I like to get what was in my head on paper, so they they can be fun like on my Facebook page and such. Okay, that is great. Have you always lived in Ireland? Uh, no, I actually lived in Australia for six years. My family moved there when I was 16. I just turned 16 actually, and we lived there for yeah, it's about six years before coming back to Ireland. I've always wanted to go to Australia. I had a chance to go one time for work, but the job got canceled over there, so I didn't get oh, to go no. at that time. Oh, no. That's that's no good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good place to be. I recommend going if you yeah. haven't been before. It's actually one of my, or something. Yeah. It's actually one of my vacation destinations that I'd like to get to sooner or later. Oh, uh, yeah. okay. Uh, who's your favorite all-time author? 
favorite all-time author? Oh my goodness, that's that's a really hard question. I I take a lot of inspiration from people like Louisa May Louisa May Alcott as well as Harper Lee. Um, we talked about To Kill a Mockingbird before there. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they're female authors who kind of pushed social standards of what, what women should be writing about at the time period. And I even think today, although we've come a long way since those novels, it, it's still it's still prevalent in today's society where women are expected to write about a very certain thing. And yeah, I, I like pushing it a little bit. Yeah, I actually read some posts on Facebook that you made that you were actually getting some flack because you were a female writing a war story. Uh, yeah. I didn't understand that because evidently a lot of people don't understand there was a lot of females in war. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, there was a lot of females in war and um, it would be actually really interesting to write about the females that were that were in war as well. Um, but I, I really find that statement a, a little bit silly because, I mean, this person was in their 30s. What do they know about war either? They weren't alive during the time <laughs> that World War II was, was going on. So it's it was a really silly statement to make. Yeah, exactly. I'm in my 60s and the only war I really remember is Vietnam. I mean, so I'm sure yeah. that if they're in their 30s, they don't even remember Vietnam. So I guess each to his own. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think sometimes you just have to brush off those little comments and carry on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do the same thing with uh, when I get her a bad review on a book. Yeah. I just look at it and say, okay, this guy didn't like the book. At least he gave yeah. me. A, at least he gave me a star. So. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy with a star. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Right. It's engagement at the end of the day as well. What's your uh, favorite genre to read? Uh, historical fiction, probably my favorite genre, but. I'm also the kind of person that would pick up anything I find interesting, regardless of the genre. So I also read nonfiction. Um, I like thrillers. I Yeah, I read a little bit of everything, but I think my favorite genre is historical fiction. It's why I wrote, why okay. I write. Are you a cat or a dog person? Oh, it's a hard question as well, but probably dog. Do you have a favorite superhero <laughs> or villain? Um, I think the most obvious. The answer for a favorite villain would be the Joker, and I, I don't want to be predictable, but yeah, the Joker is a really great villain. As far as superhero goes, um, I don't know, like maybe maybe Spider-Man or something. I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not really too much into superheroes and Marvel and DC and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Right, that's okay. We'll go with the Joker. That's a good character. What's your dream vacation yeah. destination? Oh, can I cheat a little bit and go <laughs> go with like Europe? I just want to. I would really like to travel around Europe as um, like one whole trip and like take a few months and just go around. I think Europe's a really beautiful um, place. So it's getting really work. cool, but also America. Yeah. What's your favorite type of music? Oh, goodness. Um, I kind of like folk, kind of indie, kind of almost country music. It's, yeah. Okay. Be careful the way you say country music there. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, the home of country music. <laughs> But I, under, I understand what you're talking about. Where do you see yourself in five years? Working in the field of journalism, a full-time author, or artist, or a combination of all three? I would like to say a combination of all three. I think it would be really interesting to be a full-time journalist and then write novels and do art on the side as well. Um, I, I am studying journalism, so I mean that's where I do want to take my career. Uh, Kelly, our announcer and co-host, is a journalist. Are you so you you are still studying journalism and what university you say you're attending or will be attending? Um, I'm studying at the University of Ulster. It's in uh, Coleraine. You have a mass following on social media that most independent authors would be jealous of. 
Tell other indie authors, including myself, how you built such a following. I think the most important thing was starting when you were still writing your books, starting very early on um, and utilizing all the social media platforms. So Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook. I think it's very important to utilize them all and you won't have the same number of followings on all of those, but you'll con- you'll connect with people that are really interested in what you do. And I think making blog blog posts really helped me a lot too because people were able to connect with my writing from very early on. Okay, that's great advice. I watched a video released several weeks back. In that video, you mentioned a goal for the number of pre-orders. Did you reach your goal? Yes, I did. Um, not only did I reach the goal, but I actually um, exceeded it quite a bit, and it's not even been a full week yet, so I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Everybody's you know, banded together to, to, to get this thing. Before we start talking about the boy who's sewing colors and the research that went into the story, you tell the listeners in your own words what the book is about. The story follows a young boy called um, Josef. Um, he's sent to an elite Nazi school during the Second World War, and it's about his life in this school with his friends and various teachers. There's a lot of ams in that. <laughs> okay, sounds interesting. Why did you decide to write your first novel about this particular time in history? Do you know someone who lived in Germany during that time? No, I... I decided to write about this because I, well, I'm a huge history geek to begin with. So when I was learning about this kind of stuff during like English class when I was in high school, I went on to do my own research about it as well. And I came across interviews with um, men that were in Hitler Youth. And they talked about these these schools, these elite schools that these some boys were sent to. And I it got me thinking about what the schools were all about. So I started doing research into that and then... It dawned on me that a lot of people don't actually know about these schools at all, and people don't know about that time period in history, so I thought I would write about it. So actually, you wanted to tell a familiar story of the wrath of the Nazis, but from a new perspective. Yes, exactly. Not a bad idea. Yeah. Your your bio that Nina read states you spent years researching the novel and learned German. How many research years did you have in The Boy Who Saw in Colors? So altogether, it was five years so I want to say about by three years I did researching yeah which sounds insane thinking back but but you know you need to when you're writing a story like this because I wanted the the little details to be really rich in the novel and even like I wanted even people that were in history studied it to be able to pick up on those small details and five years of research plus learning a new language I call that extreme <laughs> dedication Exactly, yeah. Well, that's me. I don't see anything by halves. It's all or nothing. Well, I'll, I'll admit, I've read the book, and I can say all your research paid off. It's very well told. Good, good. How long did it take you to learn German? So I so learned German. I'm not, I'm not exactly fluent in German. I only, I can read a little bit better than I can, I can speak, to be fair. But I, when I was in Melbourne, I had a tutor, and I went to him every week, and did so for a good few months until we came back so it was about well it's been it's been about four years now and i kind of just learned by myself now i just learn on you know sites on online and so learning german helped you with your research by allowing you to read certain documents yeah exactly i was able to look at um interviews from people like transcripts from interviews and i was actually able to decipher those as well 
but also it added to the authenticity of the novel as well. Like you, you've read it, you know that there is um, some German sentences in there and some of the right. characters speak in German. So I think that, that really helps set it in a very particular time period. And yeah, it just helps it be more authentic. You really believe that these characters are, are in World War II Germany. Yeah, you do, you do. I'll admit that too, it's, it's, it's amazing. And learning German is amazing. American English is my native language, and I still have problems with it after 60 years. I'm not sure I could pick up a second <laughs> language at this age. Let's talk about the cover. Oh, you never know. Yeah, that's true. I can Actually, I could probably admit my own language, but we're going to get into that. <laughs> Let's talk about the stunning cover. Since you have an artistic side, did you design the cover of The Boy Who Saw in Colors? No, no, I didn't. I didn't design the cover. Um, unfortunately, I that was actually designed by um, by Henry Hyde, a designer that I find online. It was actually a bit of a story with that, actually, because I had actually contacted somebody else initially, and she passed me on to Henry. And then because of that, we kind of formed a, a really cool relationship. Yeah, Henry also didn't Henry also edit the book, and I think he recorded a pre- a preview for your audio book. And didn't he do the book trailer also? <laughs> yes, he did. He Henry did a lot for me. Um, yeah, so he did a line edit of of my manuscript, and he also recorded the prologue for my audiobook, which mm-hmm. got like a really good response on YouTube. So we decided to just do the whole thing. So we're doing the whole audiobook. But yeah, he did the book trailer. Uh, I'll link to the audio and video trailer in the show notes, so other people can see the video trailer and hear the audiobook. Uh, you made a wise decision yeah, by using Mr. Hyde for all that. He did a fantastic job. I've seen some of his work. He did. Yeah. I've seen some of his work on his website. He has a great eye for detail. I'll link his website in Absolutely. the show notes as well in case other authors would like to reach out to him to inquire about his services. All right. Let's yeah, go. no, absolutely. Back to the cover. Does the character on the front of the cover of the book represent the protagonist, Yosef, or one of the many other colorful characters in the book? Well, yes, yes and no. I think with the photo that's on the cover, I find it by accident. I was looking through historical photos and I came across this one and it, it really resonated with me and it stuck with me for, for a very long time. And I'm going back to Henry, per Henry, he actually had a completely different photo, like two completely different photos on the cover. Mm-hmm. And then I decided kind of last minute, like I, I, I have a connection with this photo and I would really like to use it in my cover so he, he he did that for me as well which is which is great yeah it is but yeah so i think the boy in the cover represents um kind of the innocence in the novel in a sense you just brought up a good point that a lot of authors need to remember you work with these graphic designers and they're all great but when yep. it comes right down to it, you have to be happy with what's on the cover of that book, and you have to be happy with what's on the inside of that book. And that's something everybody needs to remember. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Which which was a good thing about self-publishing as well, because you were really able to have a lot of creative control over it. He did a great job with character building. I love the way Joseph tells the story. He is a bit mischief and rebellious while he's caring. Tell me your process behind creating Joseph. Honestly, most of the things that, that were in my book happened totally by fluke. So you start writing this character, and I started writing um, Yosef initially 
in short stories, and he was very, very different in these short stories. And over a pro like a period of time, he just became the character that we have in the Boy Song Colors. So it, it honestly, it was all a bit of a fluke. But I, I did steal from kind of my my own childhood friends as well as well as my own personality, um, and kind of inserted into his character. But but over time, he became he became himself. Okay, so he grew as you grew, basically. Exactly. Yeah, I think you can really see that in the finished product as well. That that car uh, Yosef's character definitely evolves throughout the novel. He gets older. Correct. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, like Yosef, the other characters in the Boy Who Saw in Colors are believable, and the reader can relate to them. Some of them you like and pull for, the others you don't. Sort of like in real life. Besides Yosef, who is your favorite character in the story, and why? I really like a lot of the adult characters, specifically um, Oscar, because it would have been very, very easy to draw the adult characters with absolutely no nuance in them and just make them very black and white. And as someone said on a review last night, um, it would have been very, very easy to draw Oscar as kind of like a, a Ryan Gosling type person who's kind and nothing else. But the description of him makes him sound almost unimportant and it's not until we see him through the eyes of Yosef do we start to see his worth I think that's really interesting because we all know somebody that's like that true and I'm sitting here since I've read the book I'm sitting here trying to picture him as Ryan Gosling <laughs> and I, I to be honest with you I can't do it you but, can't do well, that's good yeah. yeah that's not what I was going for <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> I guess everybody's entitled to their own opinion yeah that's the cool thing about novels everybody sees different Different characters. Some authors use the cover of the book to foreshadow what's on the inside. Does the color of the clothes or the head wrap that's under the character's chin that is represented on the cover give a reader a sneak peek into what may be coming up? Yes, I think the cover of the novel um, represents kind of the, the tragedy of war. In times of war, children get hurt. You know, it, war doesn't discriminate against anybody. And yeah, unfortunately, a lot of innocent people are caught up in it as well. So I think the cover gives the reader an idea of what's to come inside of the novel and kind of, you know, makes them prepared for some of the things you're going to read because it, it is a difficult novel at times. Like with your characters, you paint the landscape using the story beautifully. During your research, did you visit any of the places that are depicted in the book? If not, did you use some type of pictures as references, or did you build the scenes from your imagination? It's a little bit of both, actually. So, yeah, I did visit some of the places, um, so which is which is really cool. But also a little bit of just looking at photos and stuff too, historical photos, because obviously, you know, what Germany looks like now is very very different to what it looked like back in the 40s. True. Sure, sure. A lot of it was was looking at like old time photos and old movies and. You know, different movies that are set during World War II Germany. Mm -hmm. That was that was really interesting. Okay. Um, part of, part of the researching process. Okay. Because I got to watch movies for research, so. <laughs> That's hi. So good. It's one of those things that comes with a job. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. It's a perk where you get to watch movies. <laughs> exactly. What made you to decide to write the boy who saw in colors in the first person narrative instead of the third person? I think a big part of that was um, the character having the, the condition that he has. Mm -hmm. 
I think if it was to be in third person narrative, it may come across as a little bit awkward. And maybe that's because I am just a debut author and, you know, my my um, my, my talent will grow over time. But I thought it would be more logical to think to look at it in more um, in the first person narrative. Okay, I agree. It worked very well. You did a good job in the first person. I have a character who has mental issues, so I've done a lot of research on mental disorders along with mm. the brain's function and what happens when there's a disconnect. Mm. However, with Joseph, it's more of what didn't disconnect. I know you <laughs> I know you wrote a blog about it, and I will link that in the show notes. But tell me and the listeners about the issue the protagonist, Joseph is dealing with. So it's called um, synesthesia or synesthesia, whatever way you want to pronounce it. <laughs> Um, but but in short terms, it's it's basically when your senses are mixed up in your mind. So you will hear colors, see sense, taste sounds, and it's really really interesting. Some people even experience um, seeing music, which is is so bizarre but so interesting to me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, it, it made it made the writing process really really interesting because. It, it 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 made the writing more um, lyrical and beautiful. I want to say. Right. right. Hopefully. <laughs> right. So actually, the title of your book, "The Boy Who Saw in Colors," the title itself is a little foreshadowing. You can see it sort of leads you to what's going on inside. How yeah. did you learn about this phenomenon? Did you do you personally know anybody who suffers from it? I don't personally know everyone who suffers from it, but I I think synesthesia is something that we all experience a little bit to some degree. Because even whenever I was a kid, I would, sounds really bizarre, I would make friends kind of based on how they made me feel. And it was more than, I, I can't, I honestly can't explain the feeling, but it was, yeah, I made friends based on how they made me feel. So how I came across it was I was writing and again, I was writing things like Yosef heard colors. And I initially I thought I was going bonkers, to be <laughs> fair, but then I... A quick, quick Google search confirmed that I, I wasn't going bonkers. It was just this condition, and I, I knew right then that I had to use it. I got the title and the synesthesia part very early on, so probably within the first year of writing, I got the title. Uh, and, you know, they've there's been record on record that actually some people can walk into a kitchen that their mother once cooked in and their mother has passed away, and they can mm-hmm. actually smell the Sunday dinner cooking. So, yeah. so it yeah. does it does happen. Absolutely, yeah. Speaking of colors, I have a question about the chapter titles. There is something unusual about most of them. Four of the 49 chapters follow a standard format, chapter number along with a chapter title. By the way, I commend you for numbering and naming your chapters. A lot of young and new authors mm-hmm. do not do that. Anyway, the other 45 chapters have a subheading or subscript, shall we say, under the title. Here's an example of what I'm referring to. Chapter 18, titled, The Puppy String Man, has Plum, Plum Light, Pale Plum, and Persian Plum, under the title, each separated by an answer. Chapter 39, titled, The Music Man, has Miserable Tobacco, and Madness in the same format. Tell mm. me what the meaning of these subheadings are. Well, you know, because you've read the book... But at the beginning of the novel, Yosef refers to something that he calls the color thesaurus, where he's collected all of these colors throughout his life and he's placed them into this book. And so whenever we're we're reading the book, we're also reading this color thesaurus that he has. 
And because of his condition, synesthesia, he doesn't just make colors like blue and green. He, he gives them these very, very interesting, weird titles. So that's where those subheadings come from. Yosef's interactions with other characters in the tale is well done, and his actions and attitude toward them is dependent on how he perceives the other character. Since mm-hmm. I have a younger brother, I especially enjoy the interactions between Yosef and Thomas, his younger brother. You nailed a sibling relationship right down to who does mom love the most or would miss <laughs> the most. Do you take some of your own life experiences with a sibling to capture the realness of Yosef and Thomas's relationship? I'm actually an only child. So oh, I, I, well, you did a good job here. Yeah, I don't have any siblings, but I've <laughs> always been fascinated by the sibling relationship. It's 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 really really fascinating. It's it's kind of like I would give you a kidney, but you're not taking my pencil. <laughs> correct, correct, right. So I, I've just always been fascinated by it, and I I have friends that I think of as siblings, so I think I took a little bit of that in there as well. But yeah, it's just always fascinated me. So I did a lot of research into sibling sibling relationships. Well, I can and, tell you, you nailed it. I mean, yeah, thank you. You, you, you really did. You really, I, uh, I was reading some of that stuff and I'm thinking, yeah, this is something my little brother tried to pull right here. You know, so, <laughs> so you did a great job. Yeah, beautiful. That was actually something that I, I really wanted to get right in the story. Something I wanted the readers to take away from it was the relationships between the characters and going off reviews and such. I, I, I seem to have succeeded in that. So that's that's really cool. Well, like I said, you did an excellent job. Joseph is an artist. You are an artist. Is there mm. any more similarities between you and the protagonist, Yosef? His stubbornness, for one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's he's a very, very passionate character, but he, he's also the te- kind of character that would let the passion almost kill him. It has the ability to, to kill him as well, because he, he, he works so hard on it, but he also has this mentality of, I want to be great or, or, or nothing. So right. if he sometimes if he's not doing so well, even though he is improving, he won't see it that way until he's great. Right. It's all <laughs> well, or great. it's all or nothing. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm very, very similar. But in other ways Joseph is, is very, very different to me. Um I like to think of it as, as Joseph's almost like my twelve year old self. That's the reason he has so much passion at times in the book, because I can tell by the way you talk about the book that you're a very passionate person. So there's something mm-hmm. else y'all probably share. Please tell the listeners where they can purchase The Boy Who Saw in Colors and what formats the book is available in. Yeah, so it's available in Kindle, paperback, and hardback, Book Depository, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, Nook, and anywhere else, really, that you can get books. <laughs> there you go, listeners. The Boy Who Saw in Colors is available worldwide in ebook, paper, and hardback. We'll list the major outlets in the show notes below so you can purchase your copy. Lauren, you mentioned an audio version of The Boy Who Saw in Colors earlier. When will it be released and to what outlet? Audiobook, we're hoping um, to launch that in August, um, so middle of August at some point, but I definitely will be updating people on Facebook. And as for which which outlet it'll be available on, I'm not too sure yet. I need to do a lot of research into where we can put it. Before we close, is there anything else you'd like to add or tell listeners about the boy who saw in colors? I think there comes a point where you, you can't, you know, I, I can ramble on about the book forever, but I think there comes a point where you just have to stand behind the book and let it speak for itself. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to say anything about the novel at all, it would be that it means a lot to me, so I hope that it can mean something to other people as well, and it can help some people. 
very well said, and you are correct. There will come a time when the boy who saw in colors will speak for itself. I'm betting that that happens sooner than later. Last question. Where do you go from here? Do you have another novel in the works? I do. So I started researching for book two at the moment, and I'm sticking with historical fiction because that's what interests me the most. But I'm going to write about Irish history, specifically um, history from my own hometown of Derry. So I'm going to write about um, a thing called the Troubles, which predominantly happened in the 70s. And I think a lot of people don't really, they also don't really know about what happened in my hometown and the towns on the outskirts of my hometown. So I think it's very important that we get a story out there and it's another form of tribalism as well. So although it is a very, very different setting, you can also see where I would have went on, you know, where, where, where I would have got the idea to go with this. Oh, okay. All right. That sounds very, very interesting. Yeah, I'm thinking as well of making the main character an older female as well, so we won't be going from the point of view of a child. So it'll be very different for me as well, but interesting. That's excellent news. Please contact us when the new novel is released. Lauren, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. The Boy Who Saw in Colors is an excellent novel, and I suggest that everyone listening purchase a copy. They won't be sorry if they do. I personally hope The Boy Who Saw in Colors becomes a worldwide bestseller. Yeah, thank you for having me, Joseph. Lauren, it was our pleasure. Before we close out the book segment of today's show, there is something that I would like to add about The Boy Who Saw in Colors. Lauren mentioned in the podcast that the novel could be difficult at times. She wasn't referring to the read. Once you pick the book up and start, it's hard to put down. Lauren was alluding to what a 12-year-old boy, Yosef, lived through the horror he witnessed, the fear he felt, and the heartbreak he suffered during wartime Germany. The boy he saw in colors is more than historical fiction. The novel has universal appeal for anyone who appreciates a heart-filled story about humanity. Lauren Robinson masterfully wrote a novel combining the destruction of war and the dreams of a little boy. History is important to learn and remember. Like the old saying, those who don't know history's mistakes are doomed to repeat them. I'm sure that's a paraphrase, and who originally wrote or said it, I have no clue, but it seems to ring true. Kelly, how can people learn more about Lauren and the boy who saw in colors? JosephEClay.com has Lauren Robinson listed to be the indie author featured in the Indie Author Spotlight, which appears in the Corral online magazine. Lauren will appear in the summer edition, scheduled for publication in July 2020. The Boy Who Saw in Colors will be reviewed here on Spotlighting the Indie Author. That will be Episode 8, airing on July 15th. Thank you, Kelly. I love talking to new authors like Lauren. She is full of excitement and passion. She has the talent and desire. All she needs is a little luck, and Miss Lauren Robinson will be a best-selling author. I agree. I did some research for us and our listeners while you were talking to Lauren. The paraphrase you used earlier about history comes from the quote, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it by George Santayana. He was a philosopher, essayist, poet, and novelist. His statement has spawned many paraphrases. Great job, Kelly, and thank you. That would do it for this show. I would like to thank everyone for listening and can't wait till we meet again. Kelly, take it home, then the credits, please. I'm out of here. 
spotlighting the indie author's next show will be Episode 7, airing on July 1st. Joseph and his co-host will be reviewing We're All Liars, 101 Ways to Live the Truth by Robert Bean. There is a rumor that Robert may show up and be a guest on the show. Music credits, intro and outro and credits, Thriller Announcement 5 by Ziggy2, courtesy of Freesound. Podcast background, Never Stop Dreaming by Crescent Music, courtesy of Shutterstock Incorporated. Sound effects, Applause 3 by Sander Motions, courtesy of Freesound. Walking Away Sound, recorded by Mike Koenig, courtesy of Sound Bible. Frying Pan Impact, Recorded by Mike Koenig, courtesy of Sound Bible. Door Slam 2 by Lid Fortuna, courtesy of Freesound. Note Host Leaving Podcast was mixed using the following sound effects Walking Away Sound and Frying Pan Impact, along with Door Slam 2. The show notes contain the following Links to guest or author's webpage, blogs, and books mentioned in today's podcast. Links to websites not affiliated with guest or author mentioned in today's show. The link to Spotlighting the Indie Authors podcast webpage. Links to the hosts of today's show along with the guest. Links to Spotlighting the Indie Authors blog. The blog will include any information obtained about the guest or books after the podcast aired. The podcast notes will also have the technical data on the recording of today's show. Spotlighting the Indie Author can be found on most major podcast platforms. Visit our website for the links or search your favorite podcast app for us. Please, if you enjoyed the show, subscribe and use the comment section to let us know your thoughts. Thank you for listening and please join us for our next podcast. Till then, this is Kelly and the crew of Spotlighting the Indie Author bidding you farewell till next time. This was Episode 6 a 2020 production of Spotlighting the Indie Author, a Joseph E. Clay podcast, produced and directed by Joseph E. Clay, edited and mixed by Joseph E. Clay and Kelly Winkler.